Welcome to C3 Church Tugra. You're about to hear a great message from one of our guest speakers. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. Thank you, Lord. Some of you, praying for 30 seconds is almost going to do you permanent damage. But, uh, but now let the other one pray for you. Have them pray. Pull on heaven. Release blessing. Release anointing. Release the favor of heaven. Release the activity of heaven in their lives. And everybody said, you prophetic intercessors, it's just about killing you to stop, I know. God bless you. You know, when you gather, some of you would would gather in various small groups, home groups. I I really encourage you to do that always, every week. Before you leave, you, you release the Father's blessing, you release the reality, the activity, and the purposes of heaven in someone's life. I mean, that's just going to open the door to you growing in prophetic ministry and in, and in just the, the flow of spiritual gifts as, a, as just a, a part of our life and not what we do at 10 o'clock on Sunday. And so I would just that simple thing, I would encourage you to pull on heaven for somebody. All right? Good morning. How are you? I just, boy, thank you for that incredible spread out there. It's amazing. Isn't that good? Maybe you're used to that. I'm not used to that. And I, I keep getting incredible spreads, and I notice in the last two weeks I'm spreading incredibly. But uh, we had a good time last night. Is there anyone here this morning who was not here last night? Just a couple. Okay, good. I, will, I won't go back over it because we've got lots to cover today, um, except to say that we did talk about, I asked the question, not how powerful your gospel is, but how beautiful it is. I told you the world is made for beauty. And, um, and we talked a little bit about what you believe about the king will determine the way you live your life. And we said he is the seeking king, the inviting king. I said he lived, Jesus lived the most inclusive life that was ever lived. The serving king. I told you that in the early church, in the life of Christ, in where I'm watching the church explode, uh, this gift of welcome, this inclusiveness is absolutely critical. I said that I believe that uh, belonging comes before believing. And we've turned that to first you need to believe and then you can belong. It's really interesting, you know, um, been to India so many times, I think 24, 25. And uh, when I talk to people 
in these various house churches, just one-on-one -on -one over a cup of tea, and I'll say, when did you come to Christ? They almost never can tell me. Isn't that interesting? If we do that in the West, we'll say October 12, 2008. But they'll just say, I, I don't know. Because they, they became part of a family. And they fell in love with the family. And then they fell in love with the one the family loves. Isn't it interesting? I said to Randeep, that if those of you who are maybe not sure, he's a spiritual son. And he's got a house church movement where... I think it's over 860,000 people are now baptized and being discipled. And I said to him, we were driving in the car a few months ago. I said, so when you got all those people, how many do you lose in a year? And he didn't understand the question. So I rephrased it. And then he finally got it. He said, what? Nobody. I said, come on, man. I was pastoring for 30 years. You lose people. He says, he says nobody leaves their family. Isn't that interesting? See, people are made for family. Here in the Central Coast, they're not made for meetings, they're made for family. And uh, that's part of what, I'll talk a little bit more about that book later, but, but that's one of the central themes of, of the new book that I just wrote, that they're not made for meetings, they're made for family. And, uh, and then how do we discover that? Anyway, we talked about those things last night, and then we stopped. Um, because, you know, people were nodding off. I, I was embarrassed. I fell asleep twice while I was speaking. Um, so this morning, let's just press on. Lord Jesus, I'm asking for your help. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, this is not a transfer of information. We're asking for you to transform our hearts, our minds, our ways of thinking and perceiving. We say today, Lord, let your kingdom come. Today, come thy kingdom. Come thy kingdom. We bless you and we love you, Jesus. Amen. Remember I said to you last night, your revelation of the kingdom can never be any bigger than your revelation of Christ. And uh, I encourage you to enter into a journey of going deep into the depths of Christ, the mystery of Christ. Paul, writing to the Ephesians, he, he talked about the unsearchable riches of Christ and the mystery of Christ. It's interesting, you know, um, Paul used the word mystery 21 times, New Testament 28 times, and almost never have I ever heard a message on mystery, the mystery of Christ. And yet it's so central. And if you read the early church fathers, the mystery of Christ, this, this infinite depth. And the deeper and deeper and deeper I go into the mystery of Christ, it feels like the more fruit that just happens in my life. So I want to encourage you that, that everything is about him. I said last night, the glory of Christ. Everything is about the glory of Christ. So, so let's just uh, try and pick it up where we left off. Um, we talked about following Jesus. He said, come follow me. Remember, we talked about security and significance, and he called them into significance. He called them to follow him, and Jesus is on the move. I promise you that. I see this all over the world all the time. He is on the move. He is going further and further. He goes to the invisible. He goes to the outcast. He goes to the lonely. He goes to the rich. He goes everywhere, but he's moving. So when he said, come follow me, it requires movement. 
John 12, 26, he says, if you want to be my disciple, anybody here want to be a disciple of Jesus? All right. Nine of us are starting a support group. Um, he says, if you, want, if you want to be my disciple, you have to follow me. And then here's the kicker. He says, oh, by the way, if you're going to follow me, you've got to be where I am. So following Jesus, we may get there this afternoon. I'm not sure where we're going to go. But, but I, as I'm learning to follow this king, this seeking, inviting, serving king, I'm trying to recognize how he moves. We're watching incredible favor. Um, and I'm not shy to tell you about the incredible things because I know it's him and not us. I know that we are not great uh, strategists at Impact Nations. I know that we don't have huge resources. I know that. So I know it's his grace that's doing it. And it is incredible. You know, when you follow him, when you, when you find the bullseye of his assignment, it always comes with supernatural favor. Always. And that's why we, we think this much is going to happen. I think, did I tell you about the, getting the kids rescued out of slavery last night? We got, we got uh, 850 children rescued from slavery this spring and into school, multi-generations of illiteracy and malnutrition, eating brick dust, they're so hungry. Well, we wanted to, to get this many out but we found the rhythm of the king, and 850 children are no longer slaves like their fathers and their grandfathers, and they're in school. Why? Because we're learning to recognize the rhythm of the king, and his assignment always comes with supernatural favor. Always. He does more than we think can happen. And uh, so I want to tell you that it's really important to begin to recognize where Jesus is. And so I look for markers. Some of my friends have heard me say this for probably four years now, but I'm recognizing there's markers if I'm going to follow him. Because he's on the move. Say he's on the move. Now say it like you believe it. One of the first things I look for is rescue. N.T. Wright, who's one of my favorite New Testament theologians, he says rescue is the best synonym for salvation. And I agree. I've agreed for years. I think I probably taught that to good old N.T. No, I didn't. That was a bad joke. Um, I'm looking for rescue. And where I see lives being rescued, I know Jesus is at work, and I know that if I move in the midst of rescue, I know I'm right in his rhythm. I knew when we get 850 kids out, I'm right in the bullseye of the assignment. And that's why the supernatural favor. You know, I, I've met with prime ministers and vice presidents, and the, the president of Kenya phoned my son three weeks ago. Um, the, the first lady phoned... Christina, uh, and, and on and on. I could give you the list. Senators, governors, everything. Why am I telling you that? Because back home, I don't know anybody. I don't know the deputy dog catcher. Because I don't need to know anybody to fulfill the assignment. By the way, all the people that I meet, I met the guy who's over all five East African nations. And he counts me a friend. I can't believe it. And I didn't know he existed. 
till he phoned me. And I didn't know the vice president existed until he wrote me a letter. Do you understand? It's not, don't go out and try and find favor. I say, just follow Jesus and a favor comes. Just comes. So, I look for rescue and I could tell you lots of rescue stories. I've asked Christina later this morning. She's going to tell you some stories. She has got an anointing on her to get people out of prison, to get women off the streets. She's, she's a poster child for rescue. I look for reconciliation because we're given a ministry of reconciliation. Christ, according to Colossians 1, reconciles all things. Say all things. And so I look for where there's reconciliation. I really do. When I'm, when I'm seeing or when I'm feeling division or, well, this is who we are and that's who they are, I, that's not the rhythm of the king. And as I say, I see it in my own heart too. But I look for reconciliation. And the third thing is restoration. This is massive. Restoration of all things. Um. <sighs> I, um, we, have a, we have a town called Kalonga, and it is in western Uganda, and we went there to bring restoration simply because in a prayer meeting on a rainy day in Vancouver, God spoke to us and said, go restore Kalonga. And so we went to a place it wasn't even on the map, but it had 20,000 inhabitants. Not officially recognized, therefore no services given to it. It had the dirtiest water. Now, we have seen a lot of dirty water all over the world, but never seen anything as bad as this. People dying from the water. People always sick from the water. Their food brown from cooking with the water. And... Um, Arthur has a water filter set up out there. You'll see the simple water filter system that we use. I told you last night we've gotten clean water now to more than half a million people. So it was, it was dreadful. The, there was a massive amount of domestic violence, uh, alcoholism, public drunkenness, um, all the stuff. You don't need all the, the hit parade of the bad stuff. So we went in, and the first thing we did was we got clean water. We did it by building spring boxes, which is, you can ask me later, it's just a way of, of converting really bad swamp into clean water, filters, rain systems. The bottom line is we got 20,000 people clean water. We, we started a farm uh, for, for business, for food. There was a shack, a shack that we're... Uh, Almost 400 kids, some of them were under trees, some were crammed into little tiny rooms. I could not believe it. With a broken, and I'm not exaggerating, a broken piece of chalkboard, ragged broken piece, and the teacher trying to teach them. It was dreadful. Um, it was dangerous. It was a tin roof and these uh, termite, termite posts that the termites had eaten through the bottoms on most of them. Anyway, one day we were... Uh, I was back at the office, and we got this email from them. They said a huge storm just came half an hour ago, and it blew the whole building down. Fortunately, they saw the storm. They got the kids out. Nobody was killed. It was kind of interesting because they showed me the picture, just this pile of rubble. And the principal and the pastor look like they're just going to weep. 
And right behind him, all the kids were going, yeah! <laughs> kids are kids all over the world, right? But we, uh, we built a school. There's now 520 kids. It has the highest scholastic rating on their government exams of the whole district. Um, we've got licensed teachers, etc. This is restoration. We encountered women, we see this all over the world, who are desperately trying to get food into their children's mouths. One meal a day of, of maize corn. And this one gal we, we met, uh, Jane, she had five kids. She was sitting in the dirt, five kids, three of them naked, two of them with just a couple of rags. She had no place, she had nothing, she, and every day, just how am I going to feed these kids? And the women have to feed through, through begging, through prostitution, through whatever, to keep their kids alive. So what we did was we used our Impact Nations website, and um, we bought land, really good land, and we gave plots of land to each one of these women and their kids. And they built little homes, and they grow crops. It's so fertile, there's two harvests of some crops, three of others. And now we have two plots of land, there's about 120 people, and it is the most joyful place. There's a few of you who've seen it. There is the sound of laughter. You know, it's like Old Testament Jeremiah, you know, singing and dancing, and their kids aren't starving, and they're flourishing, and all those kids are in school, and we've helped start businesses, etc. Well, when I saw the land, because I'm a city boy, and we set it all up, okay, we got land, yeah. I went over there to see the land, and I came around the corner, and I went, oh, no, because the land, to me, it was filled with bushes and thorns and stuff, you know. I'm a botanist, stuff. And, um, and what I saw was the first widow under this big tree at the top of the hill with a hoe starting to break the ground. She was the first one. And when I saw it, a passage of scripture came to my mind that um, is about restoration. And it's from Isaiah 65. It just jumped into my head, and here it is. See, you see the gospel is about heaven coming to earth. It is about the restoration of everything. Justice is about the restoration of life as God intended it to be. He never intended kids to have bloated stomachs. He never intended people to die from bad water. He never intended women to prostitute themselves to desperately keep their kids alive. It's about restoration. It's a big gospel, folks. It's a big gospel. And I looked up, and this is what jumped into my mind because I know this passage and I love it. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. They will build houses and dwell in them, which is exactly what they've done. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Amen. And no longer will they build houses and others live in them. Just brush them off, shoo them off. Or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, I saw her under this big tree. If I had the picture somewhere, I'd show it to you. It's incredible. Her, this one woman beginning. 
For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. That's justice. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Could I have a hallelujah? So when I'm looking for the movement of Jesus, I look for rescue. I look for reconciliation. I look for restoration. And this is where the remarkable, incredible favor of God comes. When the kingdom comes, what used to be impossible is now possible. One of the books out there that you might want to get is called When Everything Changes. Because everything changes. Because we've discovered a big gospel. So what was impossible becomes possible. Where I go, I change the possibilities. I unabashedly tell you that. I walk into a room and the possibilities just changed. I walk into a room and the atmosphere changes. Why? Because I'm superstar? No, remember, I'm ordinary Steve. But I understand I have a very powerful gospel. It is the power of God. So, understand that. It changes your conversations. You stop trying to get people to maybe come to a meeting. And you start speaking life into their situation. You lay hands on them and they're healed. Last night, I I don't know, I prayed for, I think, five people. And the Lord touched every one of them. Why? Because that's who he is. That's what he does. I'm going to teach about that in a few minutes. I'm just finishing up last night's stuff. If you want to come to Bulgaria with us, you will bring the kingdom to some of the most despised people in all of Europe. And you will watch as they just open up. Did I tell you last night about walking through the the village and a woman getting healed and her saying, can you come to my house? Did I tell you that one? Just walking through, which is what you'll do if you come with me. We're just walking through, I'm talking, started pray for people. People gather, that happens all the time. And, uh, and I prayed for this lady and she got healed. I don't remember from what right now. Too many people, too many prayers. But she said, would you come back to my house tonight? I said, sure. Came back to the village, went to her simple little house, and there were 26 people waiting. And I told them about this beautiful gospel, and they all gave their lives immediately and joyfully to Jesus. They took communion that very first night. I talked to them about baptism. Fifteen got baptized. The host couple, when I talked about baptism, is like marriage. It's a covenant before God and people. They said, would you marry us tonight? And their adult kids are going, yeah. You see, there's life. You don't have to try to put life into your gospel. Mark 4, 28 says the kingdom of God's like this, this guy. He plants a seed in the ground and he goes away and he doesn't know how on earth it happens, but there's a crop. That's the gospel. Don't try to slick it up. Don't try to get yourself trained enough and prepared enough. and deter- Just scatter it. I'll get to that in a minute. Oh, almost got excited there, but I calmed down. We're okay. Christina's going to tell you some wonderful examples later, but I want to tell you this. John's prologue. Read 
read John chapter 1, 1 to 18, and then read it, and then read it, and then pray about it, and then read it. St. Augustine called them the most sublime words ever penned, and I would agree. And in, in uh, verse 5, it says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. The light doesn't shine at the darkness, but in the darkness. Jesus ran into the darkness. When he was with people with broken lives, he wasn't concerned. Oh, oh, what about my reputation? Matthew, he says, hey, Matt, come follow me. Remember Matthew 9.9? Matthew falls in love with Jesus, and he does what we watch all over the world. He immediately tells his friends, says, you got to meet him. And he says to Jesus, I'm having a party at my house. All my friends, those would be tax gatherers, the bad people, right? The quote sinners. He says, I'm having a party. Would you come, please? I'd love it. And Jesus says, well... I'd love to, Matt, but I think there might be smoking there. Somebody might bring a six-pack of beer. Could be some bad words. I, I, could, I couldn't come. You understand. Is that what he did? Hot dog, I'll be there. And he was there. And the religious people were not there. They're outside saying, what kind of guy is he? And remember, he comes out, give him the little lesson. Is it, is it the sick or the healthy? You need a doctor. I didn't come for those who think they're righteous. The point is, Jesus knew when he goes in to any place, something's going to change, and it's not him. I go to really dark places, and people say, are you afraid? I go, of what? Because the darkness isn't going to change me. We need to get a hold of that, folks. I mean, some, some of the poor folks in some of the churches I've been to, Oh, even in the developing world where the pastor, I've, I've been in churches and I've heard two messages to one church. You stay away from those bars. You stay away from those sinners. And then two minutes later, he's saying, come on, bring in your friends. We've got to grow this church. Now, is that schizophrenic or what? <laughs> the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. Phil referenced the second point he referenced last night briefly, um, Isaiah 61.3, beauty for ashes. He gives us beauty for ashes, joy for sadness, praise for heaviness or depression. This is what Jesus did and this is what you're called to do. I'm giving you an assignment that Jesus already gave you. You are called to make the exchange. All around you there are ashes, I promise you. I've heard ashes the last two weeks just in coffee shops. There are ashes. They are the broken things, the concerning things, the difficult things in people's lives. Go into Gloria Jeans and sit around for half an hour. You'll hear somebody telling their friend they're worried about their kid, or I've had this headache for two days, or I slept terrible again last night. Listen, those are ashes. And Jesus took the ashes and made the exchange. He gave them something beautiful. Mark 1, 40, 41. Oh, the leper says, if you're willing, you can make me whole. He says, of course. He takes the ashes and he gives them something beautiful. He takes the ashes of loneliness and rejection, the woman at the well, and he gives her something beautiful. That woman, by the way, Fortina, went on to be a martyr. She was an incredible evangelist. First among the evangelists was one of her titles. Did you know that? She was martyred in Alexandria some years later with her sons. Ironically, they threw her down a well. 
She was completely changed because Jesus took the, the self-loathing, the self-rejection, and he gave her acceptance. This is your job, this is my job, to make the exchange. Learn to recognize the sound of ashes. I promise you you're on your block. You won't hear them if you stay in your house. Hello? They're on your block, they're on your street, they're where you work, they're where you go to school. The sound of ashes. He makes the exchange. And this is your job description. By the way, how do we do that? Well, the first starting point, which we'll go over again later, but please, if you'll get this, this is the tipping point. My friends have listened to me say this for as many years as they've known me. These five words, may I pray for you? Will move you out of theory into reality. They'll move you out of church meetings into taking the gospel to people. They'll move you out of the 95%, statistically, 95% of believers that never once in their whole life ask that question outside the safety of their church building or their house. 95%. So the very first time today, we're going to do that later, you say to someone who you don't know, may I pray for you, you just stepped into the 5%. Say, I'm going to step into the 5%. Thank you for the seven people who said that with conviction. Otherwise, we just stay in theory land. Folks, the cornerstone of the gospel is to demonstrate the love of God. Not to talk about it. If it was talking, we would have got there long ago. I mean, I've contributed my 40 years of talking. It's not talking. People do not remember what they hear about the love of God. By the way, that is true. That is Christian sociologists will test that out. You can take it to the bank. You can give them four spiritual laws and 90 minutes later, they won't remember one of them. But if they experience a demonstration of the love of God, that's what marks them. That's what they don't forget. So turn to the person beside you. And with your best Aussie accent, because it'll work better in this country, say, may I pray for you? Now, okay, now close your eyes. Close your eyes. You're in aisle seven at Kohl's. And somebody's limping. Or like we saw two, three days ago at the chemist, somebody's crying. Now look at them, and now ask them, may I pray for you? Go ahead, do it. Say it out loud. Well, let's talk a little more about the kingdom. Not too much longer, because I want to switch into talking about healing. But let me tell you this. You will only grow in the things of the kingdom to the degree that you are willing to take risks. I touched on risk last night in the church, but you will only grow to the degree you're willing to take risks. I promise you, hanging around with Jesus was always risky, and I promise you it hasn't changed. I did not read about this in a book. 
It's always been that way. I, one of, I, just a fun example I love from, from Mark um, 11. Jesus calls a couple of the guys together. He says, hey, Andrew, James, come on over here. Listen, I want you to go into the next town. What's our next town here? What's the next town? Wyong? I want you to go into Wyong. Remember this for the, the, the triumphal entry? Remember? He says, I want you to go into Wyong. Go, go to the post office. You know that? Oh, yeah, we know the post office. Well, right in front, you'll find a 2019 Lexus with the keys in the ignition. I need you to start it up and bring it to me. And if anybody says, what are you doing? You say, the master has need of it. And you think now he's just being silly. Not so much. In first century Palestine, a colt was so valuable they were usually shared by two, sometimes three families. I don't know any three families that share a Lexus, do you? It has always been risky. The other great example I just love is the feeding of the 5,000. You got all these hungry, i.e. grouchy people. They, they come to Jesus, say, just better send them away. They're getting pretty hungry. And he says, you feed them. And they go, huh? He says, what do you got? Remember? Five loaves, five little buns, two fish. He prays, Papa, thank you for this food. Thank you for what you're going to do. And then he takes a little bit of the fish and the bread, and he says, here you go, Andrew. You feed them. Take those 500 over there. Go get them, champ. How do you think it happened? It wasn't some blue orb and woo. You feed them. And so Andrew goes... And he thinks, there's 500 people there. They haven't eaten all day. They're really grouchy. And he says, this is ridiculous. This is what he's thinking. This is ridiculous. This is embarrassing. I don't have enough to make a difference. Yeah. So he goes over there, and he hands this little bit. This is, hi, I, this is all I got, but here you go. God bless you. A little bit of bread, a little bit of fish. And he's walking back, and, oh, man, I'm glad that's over. And then, huh, it's funny, I thought I gave it all away. I guess I, guess I missed a little bit. Hi, this is for you. He starts walking back, and he looks, wait a minute. And now he starts to figure out God's doing something. And in a couple of minutes, it's, a, it's fun. <laughs> Go out 10 meters, cut left, and I'll throw you a long one, you know. It's exciting at the end of the story. Wow. How tempted was he to take that little bit because it wasn't enough. And as he's walking over there, just kind of slip it into his pocket. Come back. Got her done, Jesus. Do you understand? It's multiplied in the giving. It wasn't multiplied before they gave it. So when you see somebody limping at coals... And you say, oh, I see you limping. Are you all right? Oh, I fell down the stairs last week. I tore my meniscus, and it's really so. You, everything in you is going to say, oh, that's too hard. But it's multiplied in the giving. You got that? Yeah. You will only grow in the activity of the kingdom to the degree that you purchase another two CDs and three books. <laughs> no. 
to the degree that you're willing to take risks. Because I promise you this, I know this firsthand, following Jesus is always risky. It's still risky for me. He calls me to do stuff, I go, say what? But I think he does it out of his mercy. He doesn't ever want me to rely on my experience or my confidence. He wants me to rely on him. So you only grow in the kingdom to the degree that you're willing to take. Very good. And you get to decide. I can't take a risk for you. Jesus can't take a risk for you. You get to decide. You still like me? Okay. Um, I want you to know the enemy has three strategies against you. I see it everywhere. Uh, fear make you too afraid to ever step out and do it. If that doesn't work, discouragement. Well, that didn't work. And if that doesn't work, distraction. You just doing other things and you just forget to do it. So remember that. Follow him. Again, I think I'll talk some more about that later. So, that was what I was going to say last night. And now I'm going to go into what I was going to say this morning, which works out well because it is this morning. Everybody good? Okay. I want to talk to you about healing. I like healing. I'm in favor of healing. I believe in healing. Haven't seen anybody healed since 9.30 last night. It's part of our inheritance. You know, I, I could just tell you so many wonderful healing stories. Just, ugh. I was thinking about one uh, last night. That's funny, it came back to my mind because it's from years ago. Uh, and I used to like to tell stories that are more current. But we were doing a mobile medical clinic in a Muslim community. They were amazed that these Christians came to get them free medicine. But the kingdom's for everybody, Right? Do you guys know that Jesus doesn't love you any more than he loves the Muslims and the Hindus and the Sikhs and the atheists? You know that? Do you know that? Okay. So, anyway, there was a clinic going on, and uh, they had it under control, so I left and went into the villages, started praying for people, and I was having a wonderful time. When I came back, there was quite a buzz, and here's what happened. A Muslim lady brought her seven-year-old daughter, who was born deaf, and so was mute, because of course she'd never heard a sound, brought her for medicine. And one of the team, one of the nurses said, well, there isn't any medicine for that, but I'm going to pray and Jesus is going to heal your daughter. And she started to pray for this little girl, seven, never heard a sound, and suddenly her eyes got big. We've seen that look so many times. But her eyes got big and she's looking around, and it was obvious she could hear. And so the nurse said, oh God, you're so good. And the little girl who'd never heard and never starts talking back. And she's just talking and talking. By the time I got there, they told me about this. I said, who is this? That one over there. And there's a table where kids have got coloring and crayons and stuff. And she's just playing with her friends. Her life was rescued. Otherwise, she was going to grow up to be the deaf woman in the village. And her whole life changed in a moment. Isn't that wonderful? In fact, that... The Muslim chief called me over, and he kind of looked around, and he said, that was amazing. I said, yeah, that's what Jesus loves to do. And then he says, 
I had an accident 22 years ago, and my back's been in pain ever since. Do you think Jesus would heal me? I said, forget about it. No, I didn't. I prayed for him, and he was completely healed, and he followed us from village to village to village, brought people. You know what else is interesting? Several months later, they contacted our partners, and they gave a piece of land worth $100,000, gave it so that we could build a permanent clinic. Isn't that good? You see what I'm saying to you? When you're moving in the rhythm of the kingdom, it comes with supernatural favor that you could never, never even, never even imagine. So I like that. I was thinking about that healing story. I don't know why I was last night. Um, so I won't take time to tell you a whole bunch of healing stories because to be honest, I, I, I'm not exaggerating. I would be here, uh, I'd be just here all morning just telling stories. And, and that's okay. But I'm going to try and teach you instead. And I'm just going to change something here. Very good. So, I want to teach you some, some basic kind of keys that I've gradually discovered about healing. By the way, my healing journey began in 1977, which is a while ago, isn't it? What were you doing in 77? Never mind. Um, and I... Uh, I had just led my oldest friend to Christ that week, and he was over at the house. He's all excited. I'm telling him all this stuff about the gospel and Jesus, and he heals, and da-da-da-da-da. I'd never seen any of it, but he didn't know that. And I'm telling him all this great stuff, and the phone rings, and there's a fellow in our church who phoned me, and he said, my sister's just had a terrible car accident. They had to cut her out with the jaws of life. She's got uh, crushed, uh, broken vertebrae, crushed discs, can you please come? I, to this day, don't know why they asked me. Up till then, the, the biggest prayer I'd ever given is, thanks for supper, Lord. And, and I'm not kidding. So anyway, okay, and my friend that I just led to Christ, he gets this, he goes, this is great. We get to do the stuff you talked about. And I said, yeah, that's great. And we drove there, and they were all looking at me, and I was scared spitless. I'll tell you the truth, I just was. And, and I thought, how did I get into this? And I, uh, I went to pray for her, and somebody said, aren't you going to anoint her with oil? And I'm thinking, what is that? But I said, oh, yes, of course, of course. And they got me this bottle of Crisco, and I just let her have it. <laughs> and, um, and I prayed a really crummy prayer, because I was just nervous. And it just kind of dribbled down my chin, and they all looked at me, that's your prayer? And Jesus instantly healed her. It was wonderful. I mean, they had before and after x-rays. 36 x-rays healed. And that was 1977. And I got so excited about being used to heal that I went right out there and prayed for somebody in 1983. And, they, and I prayed about the same powerful method, minus the Crisco. And, uh, and their little guy got healed instantly of hydrocephalus. So then, a year or two later, I was at a conference with John Wimber, my first conference with John. And we were challenged, uh, if you will pray for 200 people, you'll never stop. And I thought, and come forward if you'll pray for 200 people. And I thought, well, that's, let's see, I've prayed for two people now in eight years. I'm not going to live long enough for 200 people. <laughs> And I went up, and the Holy Spirit just came on me. 
And he said, this is serious. Do you mean it? Yes, Lord, I do. I will. And my whole life changed. You know, and of course you go by 200 and then 2,000 and then, you know, whatever. Um, so that's my journey. I was a vineyard pastor. Christina used to train up prayer teams and we taught lots of people how to pray for the sick in our services. We had a whole teams praying. But um, we, there was something called, have anybody heard of the healing rooms? We, we, we started the healing rooms in Canada, and it went right across the nation, to our amazement. Um, but looking back, I realized I've seen more healing in the last 15 years than all the years combined, by a mile, not even close. And so somebody who knew me from the old days said, wow, things have really changed, as he was ministering with me in a, another country. And he said, what, what do you do different? What do you know differently now? And that's what got me thinking. And so... I want to give you five, five keys to healing, five reasons, because in a little while this morning, before the lunch break, we're going to heal the sick among us. But I want, I want you to know the why before the what, all right? So the first key is expectation. In fact, it's the foundation. I expect, whenever I pray for somebody, I fully expect them to be healed, uh, as Christina said, she moved from hope so to no so faith. I expect people to be healed, and I am genuinely surprised if they're not. Now, um, Mark four twenty four: the measure you use will be used unto you. I think, to a large degree, you get what you expect, and I really do. And the beauty of this is the more I see, the more I expect, and the more I expect, the more I see. So it's a positive spiral. Um, and we've watched the Lord do amazing things. The last three years, we've seen seven people clinically, clinically, that means they've been tested at the labs and everything, healed of AIDS, which is wonderful. Uh, I don't have any idea how many scores and scores, maybe it's over 100 people healed of cancer now. But when we started... If somebody had come to me with cancer, I would have fallen over in a dead faint. So you, you, don't, you don't start here. It's this expectation. As you, it just starts to grow. All right? And why do I expect? Well, I know who Jesus is. I know he loves to heal. He is healing. Jehovah Rapha, he is healing. He never once said, well, I don't think I'll heal you. He always healed them. He healed them all. I get read it again this morning. He healed them all. So I know who he is, and now I know who I am. I know Christ really is in me, the hope of glory. I do know the truth of 2 Corinthians 2.14. I carry with me everywhere the fragrance of Christ. You do too, but some of you haven't discovered it yet. So I know who he is. I know who I am. That's really why I have a high level of expectation. I need to go quick with this, I think. When I'm ministering, and I'd love for you to come, Honestly, this isn't a commercial. We have lots of people coming, but I, I know what happens if you'll come with us and you'll watch, you'll watch Christ use you every single day. You're going to heal people all day. We're going to tell you, make sure you journal at night. You think, well, I'll never forget this. Well, two days from now you might because there's so much that goes on. It is true, isn't it? So that's why we love to have you come. 
because we want to see what happens in the Central Coast as you get absolutely released and you discover Christ in you, the hope of glory. So on these trips, you know, I look for faith. I look, faith rises up in me. One time I'm walking down a laneway. I'm just talking to a guy. And there was a woman who was absolutely skin and bone. I mean, I, I never, ever saw anybody. She looked just like a rack of bones with skin on it. And she was lying on a mat in the dirt. And before I knew it, I turned to her. I went, oh, you're going to heal her. And I went and I said, Jesus is healing you right now. And I took her by the hand. She's just laying there. She'd been dropped off there. And in an instant, I've seen this a few times now. It's quite amazing. You can't hardly believe your eyes. In an instant, skin and bone becomes full arms, legs. And she jumped up. Ah! And she ran away. I often have that effect on people. <laughs> and about 30 minutes later, it was a good-sized village. Was, uh, I can't remember. Chilkaloo, seven, 8,000. I come around a corner. I wasn't looking for her. I came around a corner, and here she is. And she's talking, and there's a bunch of people all around the wall. There had to be 40 of them, and she's telling all of them what Jesus had just done. Well, suddenly I had faith. I don't go looking. Oh, I've got to find a woman lying in the dirt so I can. No, it doesn't work like that, at least for me. But there's this sudden surge of faith. Suddenly you know. You don't try to know. You don't stir up knowing. It's just you didn't know, and one second later you know. So I look for faith in me. I look for faith in the person. When we're doing outdoor meetings and there's 200 people coming forward to get healing, I'm looking for the one who's leaning in. Pray for me. Right? And I also look for faith in the ones that bring them. Remember uh, the guy who got lowered through the roof and it says Jesus seeing their faith? Remember that? Seeing their faith. We've had that so many times. Mothers bringing their kids. Kids bringing their mothers. <laughs> Two guys practically dragging a blind guy to me who did not want to be with these Christians. And they said, he's blind and he needs healing. And I said, and he's just scowling. I said, do you want me to pray for you? And before he could say no, they said, yeah, he does. He really does. <laughs> and I prayed for him. And I prayed a short prayer, and I started to pray again, and he took his head away, and he's still scowling at me, but now he's looking at me. He says, you can stop now. I can see. <laughs> and his friends were thrilled. Look for the faith of another. So expectation is huge, right? I expect immediate change. I do. Last night I prayed for people. I expected them all to receive healing. But sometimes it's as they go. It was for Jesus too. Ten lepers. As they went, they were healed. Sometimes we'll pray for people at a weekend like this and they'll come back the next day. Say, I woke up in the morning just fine. We had that wonderful healing last week. The guy with, he'd been hospitalized. His tinnitus was so bad. We prayed for him. The Spirit of God fell on him, but he left. He went home, and as far as I know, still the same. Woke up the next morning, it was gone. So, so it's immediate, usually. Sometimes it takes a little time, and sometimes it's progressive. We'll talk to you about that later. When I pray, I say, is it all gone? Or is it some gone? And if it isn't all gone, we pray again. We'll talk about that. 
Okay, so expectation. Say expectation. Okay. The second one is releasing the activity of heaven. Releasing the activity of heaven. The kingdom of heaven I mentioned in passing last night is literally the kingdom of the heavens. I find it much more helpful, um, and that is exactly what Jesus said, the kingdom of the heavens, because somehow we picture heaven as a destination that's out there. The heavens is the ultimate reality of, of the divine reality of, of, of Christ, of the angelic, of everything, and it's all around us, and at any given moment, it can break in. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 51, Nathaniel, he's already said, Philip said, I've met the Messiah. He says, where's he from? He says, he's from Gosford. He says, can any good thing come from Gosford? And then later, Jesus sees him. An Israelite in whom there is no guile. In other words, what you see is what you get. I like your style. And he says, oh, I think you're mistaken. We've never met. He says, ah, but I saw you under the tree before. You understand that in a different place. And he says, ah, oh, you are the Messiah. And he says in verse 51, he says, Nat, hang around. Because that's nothing. If you hang around, you're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. He's referring straight back to Genesis 28 where Jacob lies down, puts his head, uses a rock for a pillow. Like, I just never get that part. But anyway, um, and he has, some of your Bibles say a dream, some of your Bibles say a vision, and he sees the angels of God ascending and descending. What's that all about? It is the activity of heaven. You're going to begin to see the activity of heaven. Now, this is a, a, a long journey for me. You'll probably get this a lot quicker than I do. But there are... There are times when I recognize heaven breaking in. It's a little bit like the woman on the ground. I just, I didn't know, and then I know. One time in our living room, a woman who'd been blind in one eye for 20 years, and it wasn't that, okay, we're going to pray for you. It's, in fact, some other young people were starting to pray for her, and I'm sitting back, and suddenly I just saw heaven come in. And so I laid hands on her, and she was instantly healed, and she phoned the next morning and said, I'm watching television with my new eye. Um, but, but here's another practical way. There's the, the whole treasure hunt thing out of Bethel is, is a great application for this because I will often say, Lord, would you show me what you're going to do today? And sometimes he shows me somebody. And I, you know, again, I could tell you stories where, well, I'll tell you one. We, we were the first group of Christians in what was the biggest refugee camp in the world, Dadaab, by the Somali border in extremely eastern Kenya. And uh, we were doing meetings, and I said to the team in the morning, ask the Lord what he's going to do. And he showed me a guy in a, a, a bluish-gray short sleeve shirt, and he said, I'm healing him uh, of lung disease today. Hours later, I'm in the, the camp, I'm preaching, people come forward, maybe 700 people. And I'm looking, I can't see him anywhere. So I hop up on the closest thing to a platform, which was two bags of rice piled on each other. So I can get over, and there he is at the back. So I worked through the crowd, went to him, I said, hi. I said, Jesus showed me uh, you this morning. You're dying of lung disease, aren't you? And he just went, oh. 
yes, I've got tuberculosis. He's had it for several years. He said it had been over two years since he'd slept through the night because of constant coughing. I said, well, Jesus heals you right now. And he was healed. And he's running around and running around. and Can I give testimony? I said, no, no, we don't like testimonies. No, I said, come on up. The bag's big enough for both of us. So he gets, and he gives a testimony. The next day, I was back. We were there four days. I come back, and he comes to me and says, I slept all night. All night. I feel wonderful. Could I give testimony again? Sure. Gave a testimony. The next day, we were back. He comes looking for me. He kind of goes, would it be okay if I give my testimony again? I said, sure. What's the point? How did I know what to do? Because he showed me heaven breaking in. And I just responded to that. Okay? So, number one is expectation. Say expectation. expectation. Number two is participating in heaven's activity. Participating in heaven's activity. Go ahead, you can say that. Number three. This is a really important one, and it's a big shift for most of you. Um... It's releasing the purposes of God on earth. And I, uh, again, I want to be sensitive to the time here. So let me just cut to this. Jesus said in Matthew 16, the guys are talking about all the rumors of, of who Jesus really is. And he says, and who do you say I am? Remember verse 15? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds like this. Number one, that was a revelation. My father showed you that. Number two, with revelation comes responsibility. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. And then he says this in verse 19. It's fascinating to me. He says, <clears throat> okay, with this revelation, because Pete's the first guy to ever say it, right? Thou art the Christ. But he says, okay, now it's a new deal. Something has shifted now. Because from now on, whatever you release on earth is released in heaven. And from heaven, the preposition means both. Whatever you release in Wyong is released from heaven. Now, we have spent so much of our Christian life saying, Oh God, oh God, oh God, please heal Herbert. Please heal Mary. Please heal Fred. And he says, whatever you release... Uh, a story that I've told for a long time, but it's the clearest example in my life. I took a team to Mexico. The first night, somebody had their first ever word of knowledge about someone who was born mute. Everybody knew. They brought this kid forward, about 10, 11-year-old kid, never spoken a word. The team member prayed for him, shaking in his boots. It was his first time he'd ever done that. And in an instant the boy was speaking just fluently. The place goes crazy. I still remember where his mom was sitting and she's just weeping and it was wonderful. How many say that's good? Is that good? The next night, we're in another town. I preached the gospel. Big sized crowd came forward. And while I started to pray, just the Holy Spirit to come on them, uh, a commotion and at the back, there was a 13 year old girl who had been deaf since she was three. If I remember right, it was meningitis. And now she can hear, and she's laughing, and she's... Because one of our team had gone to pray for her. I have the team pray for people. 
And she's laughing, and her mother and her grandmother are laughing. Everybody's looking there. Nobody knows I exist at that moment. And what comes over me is sadness, not joy. And I think, whew, Steve-O, you're losing it. <laughs> and I turned, I said, Papa, why do I feel sad? And he said this to me, and I hope that I will never, ever forget it. He said, do you remember that boy last night who couldn't speak and then he could? Yes, Papa. And you see that girl who all these years couldn't hear and now she can? Yes, Papa. And he said, I have been waiting for years to do that, but nobody would release it. What is heaven waiting for in Wyoming? What is heaven waiting for? in the Central Coast. This will change the way you pray. This will change the way you pray. Okay? Number four, authority. And there's much to say here. I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest condensed version. How much authority in heaven and on earth does Jesus have? How much? Yeah, that's quite a bit, isn't it? And then we see in... uh, in Luke 9, he gives them power and authority, dunamis and exousia, exousia's authority. He gives them to do the work of the kingdom, to bring heaven now, as we talked about last night. He gives them authority. Um, Peter knew he had authority. In, 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 in Acts 3, when the guy is begging, he says, you got any spare change? And he says, I'm tapped out, but I know what I got. And I'll give you what I got in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. He knew he had authority. Folks, he did not learn he had authority because he listened to some good teaching. I could teach you all day on authority. If we had a big, long conference here, I'd be teaching you on, on the power of the name of Jesus. We sang there's power in the name of Jesus. I could teach it all to you and it would make no difference. There is only one place you can learn you have authority. Where is that? Go like this. That's the only place, folks. I'm sorry. All the meetings in the world are not going to increase your authority. Remember when, when Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat, Matthew, uh, Mark 4, and, and they, somebody wake him up. I don't want to wake him up. You wake him up. We'll get James to wake him up. Ah, we're dying. Jesus sits up, looks at the wind and the waves, says, oh, knock it off. And then he says, why were you so afraid? I don't think. It is my belief that he didn't say that. Didn't you know I'm in the boat with you? Nothing can happen. I think it was a teachable moment where he was saying, you didn't have to wake me up. You could have done that. You see, that's why Peter knew he had authority. He goes in and watches Jairus' daughter healed raised from the dead. Remember that? And so what does he do? Later when Dorcas dies, he does exactly, read about it in Acts, it's exactly parallel to what happened with Jesus. Gets everybody out of the room, it's exactly the same. Why? He learned he had authority. You have authority, and the only place you're going to learn, deeply learn that you have it, is where? Show me where. Where? Yes. You're going to learn it at Gloria Jeans. You're going to learn it in aisle seven. Okay. 
It's interesting because Jesus said in, in Mark 4.25, to the one who has, be given more. The one who doesn't have even what he thinks he has, he loses. What does that mean? Use it or lose it. You got it? Use it or lose it. The, one of the passions, I've got a few passions. I know I don't seem very passionate, but uh, one of them is to awaken the church to get out of theory land and get into gospel land. Do the kingdom. Okay? I want to encourage you. You'll never turn back. Man, how many times do you think I've been sorry that I decided to follow him and take risks? Never. Okay, we'll move on. Are you guys awake? You're pretty quiet right now. Okay, we're going to just skip through a few things. Strength and weakness. When we feel weak, he uses us. We know that. Is it really hot in here? No? Okay, that's kind of ironic, the Canadian saying, is it really hot? Never mind. Um, your authority, you're Christ's ambassadors, right? You know that. Second, Second Corinthians 5, 20, you're, you're ambassadors of Christ. If I go to Canberra, actually I got this download 15 years ago when I was in Canberra and I drove by the Canadian embassy and I thought, that is Canada. If I go through those gates, that's Canada. And then I thought, the ambassador is in Australia, but he's there to serve the purposes of Canada, right? You're ambassadors of Christ. Your citizenship, according to Philippians, is where? In heaven. In heaven. Okay, here's the last thing about authority I'm going to tell you. Mm, second last thing. Because I'm going to tell you that our authority is in the name of Jesus. Paul said to the Colossians 317, he said, everything you do, do in the name of Jesus. Just do it all in Jesus' name. Because when I teach you to pray a little later, I'm going to say it's really important. It's not just a little catchphrase. It is so important to pray in the name of Jesus, okay? And the last thing I want to tell you this is that this gospel is the power of God unto salvation. I've mentioned that twice this weekend. That's Romans 1.16. What that means is the gospel itself carries the power. Carries the power. I've had, uh, I've had so many times over the years where I didn't have enough hands and God was moving. Heaven was breaking in and I didn't have enough hands. And I have called in people who don't even know Jesus. I said, put your hands here. Find out where the pain is. Say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. I did it with, with my Hindu buddy when there were 900 people all around me. He saw as many people healed as me. I've had to do it with Muslim translators. I've done it with avowed atheists. I say, it doesn't matter. Don't care. Just say this, in the name of Jesus. And, and I could tell you specific stories of amazing, amazing healing. Why? Because the authority is in the message. Not whether I feel prayed up. I promise you if, you, if you go into the chemist shop or you go into Gloria Jean's and you hear the ashes over the next table over, oh man, I've felt sick for two days. The enemy's going to say to you, you didn't have a quiet time today. You're not prayed up. I heard what you said to your husband. Right? And you, oh, we don't even fight with that. Doesn't matter. The authority is in the message. You got that? And the farmer put the seed in the ground and he doesn't know how on earth it happened. But all by itself. Say all by itself. All by itself. All by itself.
We gotta scatter the seed, folks. We gotta scatter the seed. The parable of the sower, he scatters the seed so wildly that it goes on the road and in the thistles and in the rocks and in the good soil. To me, that is the expression of the Father's heart. He is so extravagant in his love, he scatters the seed everywhere, all the time, wherever he goes, and doesn't worry about where it lands. And we worry about it. Oh God, we're having Fred and Myrtle from down the street over. Please give us an opportunity to share the gospel. Oh God, please, let there be favor, let there be favor. He says, you don't take the seed and just put it in there. Just scatter it. So that it's Fred and Myrtle and Bill and Jean and Albert and, you get it? We live that way because that's the parable of the sower. It's the extravagant, it's, it's, it's like this, this dumb farmer who just can't help himself. He's got to throw it everywhere. That's the heart of your father. That's the heart of your father. And if I listened every time people said to me, oh, that's too hard ground. You don't know how hard our community is. You don't know how difficult it is. We have this problem with drugs. We have this problem with crime. We have the, I go, the light shines in the darkness, not at the darkness. Don't blame the darkness for being dark. Sinners sin. And we run into the midst because something's going to change and it ain't us. You got that? All right, I should get back to teaching. So, authority. The last one is this. I love this. I love this. I love this. The leper comes to Jesus. Lepers were total outcasts. They were social outcasts. They were physically sick, socially sick, emotionally sick. You understand that? Everybody know that? Lepers couldn't. And there's Jesus, and he goes through the crowd, breaking every social moray there is, and he falls on his knees and begs him. Notice that? He begs him. He says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I'm willing, be clean. The word willing, telo, T-H-E-L-O, means volition, willingness, but it also means pleasure. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is saying, you don't have to beg me. I'm pleased to heal you. When you get this, and you get that you've got authority, by the way, when you pray louder, your authority doesn't go up. Just thought I'd tell you that. You've got authority, and whatever you release in Wyong, that's what gets released in heaven. When you get these things. So I, one time we were, Christina and I were doing a, a healing conference for Presbyterians. The last session, people are praying all over the room. There's a few hundred of them just praying. And a mother brought her 20-year-old son with rheumatoid arthritis. He'd had it since he was six months old. He was in constant pain. I said, Jesus will heal you. I knelt down, put my hands on his knees, which were like pumpkins. And uh, squashes. Sorry, I'm in the wrong country. And... Uh, and as I started to pray, things started to move. And then for me, nobody was looking at me. They were praying all over the room. For me, the room went absolutely silent. And Papa said this to me. He said, you really love doing this, don't you? I said, yes, Papa. And he said, me too. And I started to cry. By the way, the young man got upstairs running, jumps up off the stage and everything. When I pray for the sick... I step into the delight of God. He delights to heal. Say he delights to heal. 
I feel his delight when I pray for the sick. I, I know he delights to heal, so I never again have to beg or say, please, Lord, please, 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 because we do that. We do it in lots of ways. You get four people around Fred who needs healing, and it turns into a smorgasbord prayer. Everybody prays a bunch of stuff, hoping something's going to stick. But if you know that whatever you release, and you know you've got authority, and you know he delights to heal, prayer is only a few seconds long. When I'm out in the community and I watch healing happen all the time, I pray for less than 10 seconds, probably about five seconds because of those things. By the way, anointing doesn't go up with length of prayer. In fact, I think the inverse is true. I watch people pray themselves out of anointing all the time. Okay, is that helpful? So, I'm going to just say a couple of things. I wanted to, uh, before Christina comes up, I wanted a couple of things. Um, Number one, we're going to Bulgaria. I told you that, and I found out we've got a, like a 42-second video on uh, our website, which I wasn't really on top of, but I found that out this morning. So do you think we could uh, have 42 seconds of Bulgaria, please? Because I'd love for you to come. I would love for you to come. Um, I just wanted to, a reminder uh, of the books that I have at the back table. Is there a, if any of you would like to get our newsletter, um, I think it comes out about every, I don't know, six weeks or something, with stuff that's going on all over the world. There's things happening every single day all over the world. I think that they'll pass a clipboard through and you just put your name and your email and we'll send that to you. Um, oh, we're getting closer. I don't know whether to stop or not. You have to tell me. Um, and again, these books that I've written, and the first church restored, I would really love it if you'd pick one of those up because I'm hoping so much for some of what I'm sharing with you. I'm hoping so much to see us moving in a new way, the way that I'm watching happening in different nations. And, 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 and so we look at how did Jesus make disciples and how did the early church and how is it happening around the world and how can it happen right here in the Central Coast. So I tried to make that as practical. Um, okay, Craig. We just have um, opportunity in the Impact Nations weekends to, to contribute specifically financially to sow into the ministry of this, um, you know, nation-shaking, changing, transforming ministry. And so uh, last night we took up an offering and uh, 
today we're going to do the same thing. We're going to have opportunity to sow into this ministry. And I, I, wanna, I want to um, have you just to consider in your heart um, how you might want to partner financially with uh, Impact Nations. Uh, I need to make a couple of points. One is that um, Steve and Christina have not asked uh, anything of the church on the Central Coast uh, to come and minister here the last two weeks. I don't know if you heard that. They haven't asked anything. Uh, and there's, there's no remuneration. There's no, you know, intentional, you know, money to the stewards. In fact, whatever offerings have been taken up. Yeah, we've been blessing them with coffee. <laughs> All the offerings that have been taken up have been specifically to go into the projects that are, are intentionally about getting uh, young children out of slavery. You heard about what happened in India. Intentionally about getting water into villages where people are dying uh, through lack of pure, clean drinking water. They're intentionally about empowering the broader Christian church to, to minister in the rhythm of the kingdom and announce the gospel and demonstrate the gospel in more countries than actually these global directors know. That's to say we don't actually know how many countries they're in at the moment. Uh, that can't happen without uh, a, a generous people. One of the dimensions of the kingdom, one of the, the rhythms of the kingdom, one of the ways in which to demonstrate the kingdom is, is to participate in this um, grace of generosity. And so um, uh, in a moment, we're going to just pass the offering bags around again. And up on the screen, there's a, a way in which you can do this on your phone. Most of us are in phone banking now, right? And so you can just literally plug the details in and you can transfer money uh, across into Impact Nations um, if you want that way. And again, we've got a, a little card machine up the back. If you want to give with your card today, you can do that. Just a couple of, of, of different ways. You know, some of you brought cash, but... Half of us don't carry cash anymore. But I just want to challenge you on two things. One is, what can I sow? You know, when, when, we put, when, when the body of Christ responds, I had the privilege of, of talking with my, um, uh, one, of, one of the soccer mums this morning at, at the soccer that my son was playing. One of these soccer mums, she's a, a, a Muslim lady, wears the whole, you know, the whole kit. And, and uh, last week, Jesus healed her knee. She had a bursitis in her knee, couldn't walk and, and prayed for her on the soccer field. And then she was able to walk across the whole oval and be was completely completely healed by the other side of the oval. And, and she was telling me this morning that she's still completely healed. It's still fully restored. I thank glory God, right? But hallelujah. Um, and this is what he's doing. But um, this is about investing and sowing into the ministry that is impacting nations in the developing world, but it's impacting here on the central coast. You know, it's impacting here on the coast. We want to partner with the king in this rhythm of generosity we want to see, as I was telling this lady, we've got this Impact Nations thing going on and just telling the stories. I could tell her the stories of how children were given an education having been in slavery. And I could tell her that because the kingdom of God was being de demonstrated by the people of God. And if the people of God weren't demonstrating that, then I wouldn't have had a story to tell her. Do you follow? And so we actually have a capacity here in the West beyond what we know to be able to sow generously. Um, so I'm going to pray for us in a sec that we might do that. The other thing that I want to challenge you on is, is you can sow dollars and that's great. And, and that'll actually commission, those dollars will be commissioned to bring transformation. 
But would you please consider sowing yourself? Would you please consider sowing yourself? I went to India 18 months ago and I got to tell you, I got videos on my phone of people, you know, a lame Sikh priest who hadn't walked in eight years. He gets up and he starts to walk. Someone videoed it while, we, while I was praying for him. And, and you know, the number of people I've been able to show on the Central Coast, hey, you don't know if God can heal, have a look at this. You know what? Yeah, he can heal you. And literally watch the demonstration of spirit. These are your stories to carry as well. So would you consider what you might sow financially this morning? And would you consider before God that you might sow yourself to go run one of these um, journeys of compassion? I mean, they're, they're all over the world. And uh, the opportunity and the call and the guarantee. I love Papa Steve says, you come on a journey of compassion. You sow yourself into a journey of compassion. You will heal the sick every day. You will see people come to Christ every day. And then you go home and you're in a rhythm that you never knew before. <laughs> so can I invite you just to stand with me? I just want to pray. And I could ask the, the ushers if they could be ready to take up the offering as well. And I make this prayer in the name and the authority of the King of Kings, the true Lord Jesus. Father, I thank You for the glorious Gospel which has saved us. Hallelujah. I thank you for the, this is no ordinary salvation that you've afforded us. I thank you that your rescue is into an incredible kingdom. And Father, I thank you that one of the beautiful graces in your kingdom is generosity. And so in the name of Jesus, I just release upon every person here now a great grace for generosity to sow in a ministry that would see nations changed. Hallelujah. And Father, before you now, as your kids, we just surrender to your way and to your purpose. And we say, Father, would you sow us into nations? Would you make a way that would sow us into nations? And by the Holy Spirit now, just as the Spirit of God is touching you and is, is releasing in your heart a heart for nations, He invites you, He says, ask and I'll give you the nations. He's not saying, hey, Pastor Phil, would you ask? He's saying, no, to you individually, each of us here today, ask and I'll give you the nations. Father, I pray that you'll hear the yes and amen in our hearts as you call us to go, to partner with Impact Nations and to walk into, into nations that would see compassion transform, that would see the gospel transform whole towns, whole villages and whole regions. And everyone who agreed with that prayer said... Amen. 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 So we're going to take up the buckets now, pass the buckets around. But again, if you want to get your phone out, you can tap in those details that are up on the screen. And the FPOS machine is up the back as well. If you want to just tap and, and we'll, we'll uh, receive that now. Thank you, Lord. Just while you're doing that, I'm going to take a couple of minutes to share. Um, I feel like there's been little threads this morning that are all tying together with what God showed me, which was that uh, each and every one of you has a story. You have life experiences that are unique to you. Your story, no one else has the exact same story as you. And your story has helped you to feel compassion for others with similar stories. I felt that there were, as we talk about going out this afternoon, there are always some who feel like, I, I just can't. I'm, I'm not articulate, or I'm too tired, or I'm wounded myself, or I'm sick myself. And we exclude ourselves from the compassion of Jesus, from impacting our community. And 
people ask us all the time, like we, we tell all these victorious stories, but every single one of us has suffered the suffering of Jesus. It's a beautiful gospel, but Jesus suffered and he was rejected. And um, he reached out to the least of these. And so um, one of my passions is to minister to um, women caught uh, in the sex trade, who've been conscripted or through circumstances found themselves selling their bodies on the street, uh, to those uh, children caught up in sex trafficking and abuse and slavery. Uh, and so wherever we go, I'm, that's partly what I'm looking for, is where are these ones who feel trapped and they feel like they can never get out? And Partly what God was showing me in our story, we don't realize the gift that our story is, is to others. That what we've been through, when we can genuinely say, I know how you feel. So I've never been a prostituted woman, woman but I, I have mentored some and I have heard their stories and, and just the horrific and the violence and the injury. And, and so I can carry that in my heart, but I can't, I can't say, I know how you feel. But there's other things that have happened to me. We had a son who was a heroin addict. Um, then we found out he'd been sexually abused. Uh, we've had divorce in our family, not Steve and I, but we, there's many, many things that we've been through. God has called us to move across the country, back and forth, and then to a new country. That comes with all its own challenges and uh, feelings of, of, of loneliness and, and trying to find God in a new situation. And so. I felt like God wanted you to value your story when you go out because there are ashes out there and he wants to exchange beauty for ashes. But you had ashes in your life and you've received the compassion of Jesus. You've received comfort from maybe from friends or family or the church. Maybe that's when you got rescued when, when you were in a season like that. And... Um, so when I go, and I'm, uh, last year we were in Nakuru, Kenya, we went, we, sh we invited women to come, women working out on the street. We said, we'd like to pray for you. And by the way, we're having a little gathering this evening. Why don't you join us in this address? And we're going to pray with you. We want to hear your story. And um, what they don't know is that we're going to actually pay for their work for that night so they don't have to go back out on the street. And that night, um, 84 women came to our gathering within about, we walked one city block. It probably took about 10 or 15 minutes to gather 84 women. And they, we try to create a safe space. We try and draw them out. There was one woman, quite young, and she said, well, what if you used to follow Jesus and then you didn't and you've sinned? Can I come back? And she was sure that she had walked so far away from Jesus that he would not have her. And I was able to do a little demonstration with her that even though she was trying to walk away, God was right there. And all she had to do was turn around. And he was waiting for her with his arms open. Well, that was in October. All 78 women left the streets. They went into safe housing. They all met Jesus. They were all discipled. And they, it's the first time we've ever had the entire group um, retrain and go into businesses and apprentice and then be given a loan to start their own business. 
Well, those women now, they turn around and they are the rescuers. So they're going out to the women on the street and you're saying, let me tell you about what Jesus did for me. And they're inviting them into the rescue and restoration. And so I felt this, this real compulsion this morning. Tell your own story. Let that compassion rise up in you and comfort others with the comfort you've received. And I just want to share the scripture um, from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And this is from the Passion. May undeserved favor and endless peace be yours continually from our Father God and from our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. All praises belong to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he is the Father of tender mercy and the God of endless comfort. That's why you shift the atmosphere, because he's inside of you. He always comes alongside us to comfort us in every suffering. There's nothing you can go through that he won't be there with you. It doesn't, nowhere does it promise we won't suffer. But he does promise that he's with us always. And they don't know that out there. And we need to bring him to them. He always comes alongside us to comfort us in every suffering so that we can come alongside those who are in any painful trial. We can bring them the same comfort that God has poured out upon us. And just as we experience the abundance of Christ's own sufferings, even more of God's comfort will cascade upon us through our union with Christ. Let's cascade God's comfort on others. If troubles weigh us down, that just means that we will receive even more comfort to pass on to you for your deliverance. For the comfort pouring into us empowers us to bring comfort to you. So in a moment I'm going to pray. I want you to picture the comfort you've received in your life. And with this comfort upholding you, you can endure victoriously the same suffering that we experience. Now our hope for you is unshakable because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in God's comfort, comforting strength. So, I just want you to close your eyes for a minute. Father, I ask that you'd bring fresh revelation to the comfort that we have received as your children. Lord, would you show us the beautiful gift that you've given us? Would you show us what we carry? And would you spark in us fresh compassion that we recognize that we have beauty and we can exchange your beauty for the ashes in the world around us. Father, would you give us courage to tell our story? Because that's how we defeat the enemy. We kill off the shame. We kill off the sorrow by being victorious in you. By acknowledging that we've suffered, but that you have rescued us. So Father, when we go out to rescue, I ask that we would go cascading your comfort. When we say, may I pray for you, it's with the knowledge that you will come and bring healing. We say yes to you, Lord. Amen. Amen. I, um, I met a woman uh, last year who, the previous year, uh, we had rescued. And so I went to pray in her little shop. And I mean, these shops are tiny, tiny, but there's a large population there. And... 
um, it doesn't take much to get a business going. And so I went into her little salon and, and that you often find funny combinations of things. So she was sort of a salon and a bank. <laughs> um, they do all their banking by phone and they put up these little kiosks and they help do uh, money exchanging. And so, so we went into her shop and there were a couple of women um, doing some, some hair and she was kind of overseeing them. So she was able to step out and I interviewed her. The previous year, she had been a prostituted women, woman. We had um, told her there was rescue available. She had responded to that. And um, so I asked her, have you gone out on the rescue mission? Have you mentored others? So one year before, she was on the street. In one year, she had gone out and brought, and sometimes they bring them right into their home. Uh, I met one woman, she was like eight months pregnant, and they had just rescued her, and she looked like a wild and crazy lady, and they were bringing her comfort. Well, this one, woman in her little salon had rescued 20 women, and she had opened 12 different salons. So she got a loan, she started a business, she, um, she was able to return money, then she could borrow more money to start more businesses, and that's how this works. It just multiplies and multiplies. So now, uh, that, I'm watching that city change. I met Daisy last night, she's from Nakuru, which is shocking, she knows Mike, it was so exciting. But I bet if you went back today, you would see a lot of difference, because alcoholism is down, drug addiction is down, family violence is down, rape is down, um, the, kids, um, the kids in school, almost every school in that whole county, um, the kids receive a nutritious meal every day. And because Mike has got this feeding program going, the doors are wide open to the gospel in these schools. So now his, his youth and his young adults go in and do programs in the schools about Jesus. And then he figured out that the kids on the weekends or school holidays, they weren't getting proper nutrition because they were, had been getting it in school. So he started a Saturday afternoon club. And for a couple hours, the young people, and it's not in a big building, it's a little bit bigger than this, but... The young people in his church, they, they sing and they dance and they tell the stories and they act things out and they do contests for the kids and then they feed them all and then they go home. Well, thousands were coming, so he, now he does it twice every Saturday and then he's multiplying it into different communities because people are hungry. And every one of those kids, they know their name, they know where they live, they go to visit the parents. And so the kingdom is multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. And uh, so that's another, if, if Bulgaria doesn't work for you, Kenya's the next one up. I'm leading both uh, a team for just women to focus on women on the street, women in the prisons. And um, we, uh, we do a conference. It's the one time we do do a conference and we bus, we have Maasai women that come from hours and hours away villages in their full Maasai regalia, but they love Jesus and they want to receive more. Um, and then there's a regular journey where we'll be doing medical clinics. We always need medical people. If you've got friends, you know, people in the medical profession, part of the reason they do that is because God's put in them a desire to help others. And so they love bringing their skills overseas where people are desperate. They don't have medical care. So we're doing that. We're going into the prison. Uh, we'll be going into the biggest garbage dump in Nairobi. We've not been in there before. That'll be a new one for us. So, um, there's lots to do, and we need lots of help. So I pray about joining us. Thanks. Everybody stand up for a sec, please. Have a little stretch. I'm going to have a drink of water. Don't know what you're going to do. 
Everybody good? You can sit if you'd like, or stand if you want. I took a group of uh, American CEOs, all multi-multi-millionaires, um, to Africa a couple of years ago, and it was such a... Uh, it shocked them. They had no idea people live in garbage dumps. They didn't know about any of this stuff. But I connected them with a bunch of the, of the women who'd been rescued off the street who had businesses, and these guys said to me, they would all be millionaires in America, given their business skills. It's really something. Um, I think just before I teach you a little more, let me tell you a little story about what, the power of what's going on with rescuing lives. I, don't, I admit I was writing a note. Did Christina tell you over 100,000 businesses now? Did she tell you that? Over 100,000 businesses started for uh, women coming off the street, for drug addicts, for everything. It's been wonderful. Through our partner, Mike Brown, he's, he's amazing. I, uh, <laughs> I've been with him when he's just watched drug addicts just give up their drugs right in front of him. It's wonderful. But let me just say this. I was in Arusha, Tanzania, scouting about, I don't know, four and a half years ago, I think. And um, I went out with Mike and two friends one night into the red light district, and we got talking to the women that were so low on the totem pole that they weren't even allowed into the bars and the brothels. And we, we had, uh, had a nice meal ready for them at a restaurant. I said, would you like to come? And most of them said no. And uh, they didn't trust us. One of them just said, I know what you're going to do. You're going to take dirty pictures of us. And yada, 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 yada. No, no, would you like to come? Five people were brave enough to come. And we went to this restaurant, and we started by telling our stories, our own brokenness, the beauty for ashes in our lives. Then they started telling their stories. And it was a night I'll never forget. It was the first time I'd really one-on-one -on -one got personal with this whole rescue, Daughters of Destiny. And I'll just tell you one story. The woman, a Muslim lady, five months pregnant, and the night before, she had been beat up so badly, um, she thought she'd lose her baby. She got up in the morning, and she said, I'm going to kill myself, but before I do, I'm going to sell my one-year-old, because if I can sell him, maybe he won't starve to death. And so we were in the, the window between her wanting to sell and following through and being able to sell. And we shared the beautiful gospel with all of them. And they all had stories like that. And we said, can we pray for you? And we just prayed and we went around and we just prayed one by one for them. And they all came to Christ. But you see... I said to you last night, if it's not good news to the poor, it's not good news. And praying a prayer saying, God bless you, be warm, be filled, and come to church isn't good enough news. So what we did was we got housing for them. That woman, the, the Muslim lady, that night got her into safe housing, rent paid for for four months, and um, got her food and then got her in with other Christians in the house where she just began a healing process. And um, that woman now is a leader in her church. Isn't that wonderful? This is a big gospel, folks. 
So I just wanted to, I, I could go on and on with stories, but I just wanted to personalize it for a minute for you. And uh, so if you'd like to come with Christina, if you're a lady, you can come to both journeys. If you're a man, you can come to the second one. And uh, as I told you last night, we've, we've gotten so many hundreds of people out of prison and everything. We're just amazed. Okay, I'm going to change gears now. I heard a rumor that somebody recently taught you five keys or principles about healing. And, uh, and now let's put them into practice, okay? Does anybody remember the question that moves you into the 5%, the question that changes everything, the question that connects heaven to earth, that makes the exchange? What's that question? Can I pray for you? That's great. And I've noticed, you know, Australia, it's can I pray for you, right? Where I am, it's may I pray, but you can I pray. And there's a difference. Churchill was right. We are two people separated by a common language. Um, can I pray for you? So we're at aisle seven at Coles. I'm picking on Coles today. And you see somebody limping along, you know, and because you're pretty discerning, you think, I'll bet they have a problem with their leg. <laughs> so you go up and you say, may I pray for you? And they will say, Yes. In fact, one of the things I've been doing this last year is I'll say, can I pray for you for just 10 seconds? And everybody says yes, because how much damage can you do in 10 seconds? So now here's what I want you to pay attention. If you're taking notes, I'd like you to get this. I'm going to teach you a simple little prayer model. It's not the only one. It's probably not even the best, but it's the one that we've taught for maybe 20 years all over the world. And it's the one when you come on a journey we'll use because we have every background, right? There's every denomination of Protestant and Catholic all together. So we, we go with kind of one way. So here's what we do. The first question is, what do you need? What's the first question? What do you need? What do you need? And um, I get them to be specific. Let's, let's say it's Bill on aisle seven and he's limping. What's the problem? What do you need? Well, my leg hurts. Where does your leg hurt? Well, it, it, it hurts right here. My knee, I fell last week. Be, get them to be specific. What do you need? Find out exactly what you're praying for. Do you know what, guys? That would seem obvious, but it must not be. Because I watch people pray all the time. And their eyes are closed, and they usually put their hands on people's shoulders, and they start praying up a storm. There is healing in your hands. Jesus laid hands. The disciples laid hands. You and I, we lay hands. There's a contact point. So what do you need? Find out exactly what you're praying for. Number two, while that's going on, I'm always listening to God. Listen to God. Lord, is there anything you want to tell me about Bill? Usually there isn't. Usually it's the knee. <laughs> okay? Number three. Invite God's love. Invite, say that. Invite God's love. Now, here's why I say it that way. I used to say, you know, invite the Holy Spirit. But Bill doesn't even know there is a Holy Spirit and the only reason he's given you those 10 seconds is because his knee's killing him, not because he wants a revival meeting in aisle 7. Okay? 
And so remember, he's already, nobody's ever said, said this to him. This city's filled with people never in their life have they ever asked me to pray for you. So what I do is I pray with my eyes open. Everybody say eyes open. Eyes open when you pray. Did you know God can hear you when your eyes are open? Yeah, it's in the Bible. It's in Second Hesitations. Um, you know why I pray with my eyes open? I can see better, right? I can see better. What do I want to see? Because I'll pray like this. Bill, aisle seven. I say, God, just let Bill feel your love right now. That's it. Although it's better if I say, God, letteth, billeth, hear thou, or know thou loveth. No. God, just let Bill feel your love right now. What am I really saying? Holy Spirit, come. And my eyes are open, and I watch. And the more you do this, the more you realize the Spirit of God shows up, often in the first second, sometimes three seconds. And you'll see him resting on him. You'll see his shoulders relax. You may see him even begin to perspire. You may see his eyelids flutter a little bit. You may see some, just. So we're inviting God's love. Say invite God's love. So let's just pretend you're ta- you've, you've, just, you've just asked Bill or Mary, could I pray for you? They say, yes, what's the problem? My knee. And now what do you say? God, just let Bill feel your love right now. Go ahead, say something like that. Or say it in your own words. Lord, let him just feel your love. Lord, pour out your love. Lord, you understand? I can't give, I'm not giving you rote. That's no good. But I am giving you a concept. So what do we do? Number one, what do you need? Say, what do you need? Number two, listen to God. Number two? Number three, invite God's love. Number four, this is the big shift, but it's what we led up to today because you've got authority, because he delights to heal, because whatever you release on earth. And that's why when we get to number four, command the healing. Say, command the healing. Here's the difference. I don't say, oh God, please heal Bill's knee. Lord, his knee just needs healing. Please, oh God, do that right now. And, and just let Bill know how much you love him. And Lord, bless him and his dog and his cousin Fred. And It's the knee. So here's what you do. You speak to the condition. What are you doing with your eyes right now? Open. I would do this. Can I just put my hand on your knee, Bill? Sure. And I put my hand on his knee, and this is how long I would pray. Something like this. In the name of Jesus, I tell all the pain to leave your knee right now. Receive healing. We're done. It's about four and a half seconds when I do it. I command the healing. Last night, I saw five people healed in just a couple of minutes. Because I didn't go on and on. I didn't repeat prayers. I didn't find six different ways to say it. Either you've got authority or you don't. Either he loves to heal or he doesn't. Either you're going to release the purposes of heaven in Wyong or you're not. And let's get to it. The shorter you pray, the more authority there is. I'm telling you that. But it's really hard for us because we've learned to pray with our eyes shut. 
We've not realized that there is something that happens if we put our hand where the pain is. So I say, could I put my hand where that pain is? In the name of Jesus. Say in the name of Jesus. Jesus. It's really important. Really important. I tell all the pain to leave your knee right now. Receive healing. Okay? Command the healing. Say command the healing. Oh, by the way, if it's a personal area, you're praying for a lady, she's got heart trouble, have her put her heart, her hand over her heart, okay? You got that? That may seem self-evident, but I forgot that once on a trip in Africa, and it was one of those, I looked in slow motion, no, as they, well, never mind. Why do I even bring these things up? So then you just get them to put their hand. Command the healing. Number one. Number one, what, what do you need? Number two, number three, pray long or short. Eyes are, number four, number five, test it out. Number five, test it out immediately. I don't know if there's anybody here I prayed for last night, but as soon as I prayed for you, I said, now, do something you couldn't do. Bend over. I prayed for a couple of people with backs. Bend over. Somebody with their knee. Come on. Test it out. Yeah, we had a lot of healing happen last night. Test it out. We don't do that because we're afraid that nothing happened. Now, when they test it out, one of three things will happen. Number one, they'll go, oh, my word, it's all gone. It's all gone. It's great. It's amazing. I got one of those last night. I love the, the look, right? Um, or number two, they'll say, well, you know, it's a lot better. I'll say, is it all better or some better? Well, it's some better, but it's a lot. When that happens, you say, that's great. God's moving. Let's pray again. And I will pray, thank you, Lord, because thanksgiving is powerful spiritual warfare. The enemy flees from thanksgiving, from humility, from adoration, right? All these things. So I'll just say, thank you, Jesus. And now no longer... No louder. I just say, now, in the name of Jesus, I tell the rest of this pain to leave your knee right now. Be healed. Test it out again. So, and then if if nothing happens, I'll pray twice, maybe three times, probably twice. And then I'll just pray a blessing on them. And then really what I can do is say, you know, sometimes it's, it's over the next few hours. If that happens, I sometimes give them my phone number, you know, but... Um, and that's what you do. Everybody got that? Yeah. By the way, if, sometimes I tell people, if that pain tries to come back into your knee, Bill, you just tell it to go. Do what I just did. You just say no. In the name of Jesus, that pain goes, and it'll go. I will go. You can take that to the bank. So, number one is... That was overwhelming. <laughs> you pinned me to the wall with that. Number one... Number two. Number three. Number three. Number four. Number five. Close your notes. Close your notes. <laughs> okay. Number one. Boy, that was just underwhelming. Number one. Number two. Number three. Number four. Number four. Number five. 
So you don't ask God, please heal Fred's knee. He already, we, all the reasons I gave you last hour, right? It's short, it's quick. When he's healed, by the way, as I think Ray referred to, I've taught this to people all over the place. Wow, that's amazing. I said, that was a gift from Jesus. And then I say, did you like that gift? And all sane, rational people say, yeah. Right? And they'll say, he's got another gift for you. It's like he just touched you on the outside, on your knee there, Bill. But he wants to come on the inside, be with you forever. Would you just, would you just like to have him with you forever? They always say yes to me. Always. And then I'll say, well, why don't we just together just ask him? It's as simple as that. I said, do, do you want to pray with me? And they'll usually go, yeah, because they don't know how to pray. And they're not in church, and they're not wearing a robe. How could they pray? Right? Because they've never encountered the kingdom except Christmas Eve and, and Good Friday. You understand? And so then you just lead them in a simple prayer. You get it? You understand when I say simple prayer, right? Like really simple. We don't get into transubstantiation, premillennialism. <laughs> it's, Jesus, thank you that you love me. And he would say, Jesus, thank you that you love me. And just come into my life. Make everything new. I want to know you. Amen. That's it. That's it. And then you make a friend. Friendship is the only bridge that true discipleship is built upon. Without friendship, it's just another program. Okay? They're made for family. Remember I told you that? So, let's just put all our notes away. And um, who's got pain in their body right now? Anybody? Or did we get it all last night? I see those hands. Come on up here. If you've got pain in your body. Oh, my word, look at this. What if we hadn't prayed last night? It would have been even more. And this is why we need healing. This is why, anyway, I won't, look at all this. Honey, would you help me to facilitate this? I'm going to get you people to turn around and face the chairs, okay? Because what direction is that? Is that that west? That's east? Oh, good. See, you always want to be facing east. I'm just kidding. Okay. So are we done? Are you still coming or thinking about it, or what's the deal? Okay. Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, fifteen. Sixteen. We got a healing revival here. Sixteen. Would everybody stand up, please? Now, the word became flesh. As E. Stanley Jones said, the ideal became real. I'm inviting you today, some of you for the first time, some of you for the hundred and first time, to step into the reality of the kingdom of God. So the first 15 people that are up here get to release the kingdom. Are you ready? One, two, three, go. That's go. Come on. Come on. Stand in front of somebody who doesn't have anyone. Come on. Yes. That's good. Oh, I, I, think, I think you need to come. Come on. If there's nobody in front of you, put your hand up. If there's nobody in front of you, put your hand up. Okay, they're good. 
Maybe you missed your chance. Early bird gets the worm. Okay. Thank you. Now, here's what we're going to do. You guys can sit down now, those who are left. Not you. You stay. You're praying. Okay. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to review quickly. Let me say this. When you pray, what are you going to do with the eyes? You're going to pray long or short? You're going to put your hand where the? You're going to command the healing. You're going to have them tested out. Some of them are here with bad backs. Most people with bad backs, you say, test it out. And because their back has hurt for, you know, three years, they'll go, I think it's all better. <laughs> no, give it a good test, okay? Bless them. If, it's all, if they're all healed, wave at us. If you're getting healed, if it's better, pray again. Thank you, Jesus. And you just go at it again. All right? Is everybody ready? Now, before you start, you few people here, you're going to have to be really loud because there's not many of you. Let's coach them through. What do we do? Number one. Number two. Number three. Number four. Number five. Please begin.
going to have you sit down and i um, going to give you some instructions. By the way, um, you know, it's a funny thing. First of all, the hardest place in the world to heal the sick is in church. Yeah. I, I take it to the bank. And, then it, and it just, healing kind of sometimes comes in waves. Last night, uh, I was talking with Sue Walker, who heads up intercession, and everybody she prayed for and everybody I prayed for was healed. And I'll bet it was more, too. It just she and I were the only two that I talked to. But uh, it does come in waves. But I want you to know, if you will keep going, it will grow and grow. Your expectation will increase. What you see increases. Here's what we're going to do. Um, we did that really well. Uh, in a couple of minutes, we're going to release you for lunch. And we want you to go eat, if you want. But when you go, I'd really like you to be in pairs at after lunch. And we've got a few bags of fruit. We've got enough for everyone to have one and some of you to have two. If you go out in pairs, that means you get to talk to two people. Now, you can talk to more people when your fruit runs out. But if you have the fruit in your hand, I just find it really easy because I'm going to encourage you to go wherever you want to go. Park, um, on the street, wherever you want to go. I took a bunch of people out in Silicon Valley four weeks ago to the park, and they prayed for 200 people in about an hour and 15 minutes. I think I said that last night. They'd never prayed for anybody. But what we're doing is, hi, I bought this for you. Not, would you like any fruit? Because people don't know what to say to that. But if I'm holding one of those bags and I say, hey, good morning, I bought this for you. I promise you their hand will go out. And you say, my name's Steve, how are you? And then they'll usually tell you their name. If not, you can say, what's your name? And then say, I just wanted to give you this. We just got it. It's fresh fruit. It's just a little gift for you. Why are you doing this? You say, well, it's just a little way to tell you how much God loves you today. Have a wonderful day. Hey, could I just pray a blessing for 10 seconds? Uh, okay. Eyes open. Everybody say eyes open. Eyes open. And I would pray something. You know, I'm going to say your, your name is Gertrude. We're picking you because you, you, you look so much like a Gertrude. Um, I had a guitar named Gertrude once, actually. I did. But, uh, but I would just say what, what you saw when we invited God's love, right? In the park on the street. Jesus, thank you for just us connecting today. Would you bless Gertrude this weekend? Let her know how much you love her. Amen. Now she's going, oh my word, that didn't hurt. Because nobody's ever done it before. And you didn't get weird. And you didn't shake, and your eyes weren't scrunched, and, you, and then I will just talk a little bit. Hey, da -da 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 -da. this is exactly what I do. We just get talking. I usually talk about my grandkids. They tell me about their kids. Da -de -da -de -da. Hey, is there anything going on in your family we could be praying for? And once we've started to build a little bridge, well, yeah, actually, my husband had an accident at work three months ago, and he's really been in a bad way. Oh, what's his name? His name's Bill. Well, Jesus, we lift Bill up to you right now. Eyes open, nothing weird. Do you understand? Yeah. I'm just building a bridge. And if, and if it goes well, you might even say, hey, want to get together for a cup of coffee sometime? Because sometimes that'll happen too. 
So I take the fruit and I will, I'll see you sitting on a park bench or on a bench along one of the shops here. And I'll just go, hi, good morning or good afternoon. If you say good morning, they'll think you're in the wrong time zone. You say, hi, I bought this for you. And they go, what? What is it? It's just some fresh food. Just a little way to tell you how much God loves you this weekend. Hey, could I just pray just a 10-second prayer blessing for you? Okay. And then we do it. And then we get talking. Right? Everybody got that? Yeah. Okay. Do it in pairs. Don't do it in threes, fours, or fives. How would you like to be sitting there and five people surround you? <laughs> in the name of Jesus. Okay? And when you've done that, we'll come back. Uh, we, we don't have a lot of fruit today, so we're, it won't take you very long. By the way, there's, pardon me? Three bags between two people. Yeah, that's great. So you get to connect with three people. There's no prize for getting rid of your fruit first, okay? Ah. <laughs> and just connect. And when you're out of fruit, you can keep talking, because mainly what that's doing is helping you to get more comfortable. Every time you do this, you get more and more comfortable. I, I, it's, to me, it's nothing. It's like past the butter to walk up to any stranger. But I remember the first time, oh my word, bought these groceries, went to this area. I'd never done it before. And this was how smooth I was. See if you can come up to my level of smoothness. My first door, I still remember. Boom, 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 boom. And that was my heart. But anyway, <laughs> I opened the door and I just was so slick. I said, hi, I'm giving food away to poor people. Are you poor? <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Nice. Yeah, so I've improved from there. Um, the more you do it, the more relaxed you will be, I promise you. This is the hardest day you're ever going to have, and it won't be hard. It just gets easier and easier. A pastor in, in California has written me so many times in the last month, and she said, this has changed my life. And she said, I'm not in my office behind my desk anymore. I'm out where people are. So... Can I pray for you? Then I'm going to let you organize yourselves. And we're going to be back here at 2.30. Is that good? We hope you enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3talgra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon. Let's face.